Welcome to Leadership Matters, a podcast hosted by me, Steve Parker, a series that brings a fresh perspective to leadership, motivation, and how to succeed by talking to a diverse range of CEOs, business managers, and world-class talent. We also offer some personal tips to help you in your career. Each episode aims to provide a snapshot into the life and philosophy of some of Taiwan and the world's most successful leaders, and to find out more about why leadership matters. Frederick Boyer has over 20 years experience in upline management in the European IT outsourcing space. His career was going to be continuing pretty much along those lines, but luck would have it that he, his partner actually got a job, moved to Taiwan. And Frederick is in a unique position of being a trading spouse coming into Taiwan, but he's then had to kind of develop his career and continue as a leader in Taiwan, but also having to reinvent himself at the same time. We're really very happy to have you here today, Frederick. Thanks for coming in. Thank you very much for having me. You and your wife had the decision, you cut your career off and you came with her for her position. What were your options when you came to Taiwan? I mean, we both had really good careers back in Sweden. My wife was the, the managing director for Scania, essentially the service network, the global service network for trucks and buses. And I, I was an upline manager in DXE technology, uh, which was um, one of I think it's the fifth largest or fourth largest IT outsourcing company in the world. It's sort of cushy position in that sense. You know, we were making a good living. Then my wife was offered the, the managing director position for Taiwan, for Scania. And we immediately said yes, having looked up Taiwan in, on Wikipedia. Because at that point, prior to COVID, I mean, Taiwan was, it wasn't really well known in Europe. So we quickly looked at Wikipedia. We contacted a few people living here and we said, let's go. I think this is a really good story for on a number of levels. You're a senior leader and you've come in. How did you go about building this kind of, you know, network and working towards getting yourself into the professional world here? I immediately, I started to contact people when I arrived here and sort of built my, my own initial quick network, predominantly among the Swedes, you know, expats. And he brought me to a dinner with other Swedes and, you know, I made sure to make a good impression. <laughs> and it, it took about a week to that that I got the, the offer for the role I currently hold. Which we should have said at the beginning is that you're actually running, you're the CEO of the Swedish Chamber of Commerce in Taiwan. Correct. Um, which during your tenure has experienced, uh, basically you've grown, you've doubled in size. We've doubled in size, definitely. And I, I joined right at the start of COVID, which was a difficult time, of course. I mean, no physical meetings, um, impossible to do the social events that I really enjoyed doing. And, you know, I think we're punching above our weight in terms of, you know, Sweden is only 10 million uh, citizens and it's a small country in that sense, but we have a pretty long, you know, large footprint in Taiwan in terms of business. I think there are certain places, and I think Sweden is one of those, that has, uh, people often say, what Swedish companies are they? But then you list them <laughs> and they're, I mean, they're global powerhouses. Yeah, I mean, they, really. are, they are, they are. Both, you know, traditionally in this industrial companies like, you know, Scania, Volvo, Volvo Trucks, um, Soundvik, Ericsson, Ikea, et cetera. But then you've got all the up-and-comers, if you call Spotify and Minecraft and, you know, the, the new tech companies, a lot of companies in uh, sustainable energy, uh, fintech, et cetera. And just to be clear, that this podcast is also available on Spotify as well. So Fantastic. I just want to, yeah, I have a <laughs> we are a Swedish supporter. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to your previous career in a moment, but I think this is a, in terms of leadership and, I mean, our kind of audience, if you like, is people who are currently in leadership positions, but also people who want to be. And I think yours is a great example of being open to opportunities, being open to change and getting out there, yep. how that actually can make a, a new career, right? I mean, you've, essentially, you've had to reinvent yourself. 
I have. I mean, I haven't changed myself, but I've definitely changed, you know, the job description is vastly different from what I used to do. But essentially, I still sort of maintain my own personality and the way I do things and the way I lead. So it's a change, definitely. And um, if we had not gotten the, the opportunity to move Taiwan, I would probably have remained in my position in Sweden, continue to do the same thing. I wouldn't have been satisfied with that because I was looking to do a change. But making that change is pretty difficult because, A, you've got the golden handcuffs at, at times. You know, you're, you're paid good money, uh, but you may not enjoy yourself. But making that change, uh, it can be very difficult. So this was an opportunity for me to force myself to do a change. Okay. So you want to, it's the first time I've actually heard this golden uh, handcuffs. I've heard of golden handshakes, but never golden handcuffs before. But I, it makes really, you know, you're trapped by the income you've got. You're trapped you by are, the- You are. I mean, you, you get used to a certain way of living. And as I said, we, we had a good life. But daring to take that step and say, okay, let me do something completely different. Many people think about that, but very few take that step. So the opportunity, the offer to move to Taiwan was, right, okay, this is the time. I was forced, I was forced to change, and I wanted to change. How did that work out for you? Did you ever have kind of doubt during the, you know, did you ever say to yourself, oh, God, what have I done? No, I couldn't wait to move. <laughs> let's sell the house. Let's sell everything we own. Let's just move. You know, we've looked at this as an, op- as an option for the past 10, 12 years, probably my wife and I, to try and get abroad. Scania, luckily, has a very long-term perspective on leadership and business. So we knew that this was sort of a more of a long-term commitment from them. And I couldn't wait to move. <laughs> this is about leadership, but it's also about lessons for people, you know? Mm. And I think sometimes people can be afraid of change. Yeah, we are. I, I think it's only natural. Right. And I, I've always been kind of, I guess, the opposite to that. It's like, I, I really want to go. You know, I, I want to be in a room where there's an opportunity to meet some new people and learn some new things. What advice do you have for people in this transition? Embrace the opportunity. Never say no to anything. Just say yes. And that's what we said when we arrived here. We shouldn't say no to any invitation or, you know, uh, opportunity to hook up with people. Say yes. And thank you for saying yes to this podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But it, I think be extrovert, be bold, just step out there. So how have you prepared yourself? I mean, you obviously you're in a position where you're working in IT, right? You've got you know, a background in IT, you've got yeah. these skills. Do you have a kind of a philosophy on kind of learning? Do you, I mean, do you make yourself go out and learn new stuff? Do you? I, I learn things which I find interesting. I mean, if you find something interesting that you know, triggers your interest, you do learn automatically. And also being in this industry, which I am now, you know, running a chamber of commerce where you've got a plethora of different industries and companies. I think we're looking at, you know, potentially eight or 10 different industries in the chamber right now represented. So I need to be aware of what happens in each industry in order to have a sort of a fruitful conversation with my members and also connect them with future partners, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes also challenge my members, you know, challenge them to take up a new partnership around AI or production or whatever it might be. So I need to understand the industry. Previously, I needed to understand the IT industry. Now I need to understand eight or 10 different industries. So when you were working with IT right, uh, back in Sweden, mm. how would you define your leadership approach? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Big question, I know. Be, yeah, I mean, people don't know me, but be myself. I'm typically not a very aggressive leader. I'd like for people to 
do things you know, themselves and find out how to do things. I don't like to be feared because fear into anything productive and you only drive people out from the organization. Right. I think with fear, you end up with people who probably achieve a lot in a short space of time. Exactly. And then they'll move on when they can. I don't view myself as a leader as such. I don't view myself as a CEO. So when I work with my employees in the chamber, my interns, you know, we work alongside each other. I think it's, if you view yourself as that great leader, you put yourself in a pretty difficult position and your staff. You know, I've spoken to a number of people on this show now, and uh, almost without exception, all of the people who have got to a certain level all share the same thing, that they can't know everything. It's about finding the information because it's out there, finding it and using it in a productive way. Most of it is accessible to you. You cannot blame the fact that I was not able to find any information on it. You need to learn how to Google, you know, deep. And the last thing I've heard from you, what I think is really super important for a lot of people is this idea, you know, we're CEOs or we're leaders or we're managers or whatever, but we live in a world now where information is readily available. So you don't have to know everything. What you do have to know is how to get the information and access that information. So it feels like in a sense, and maybe this is your IT background coming through here, but you know, build the system, right? Or understand the system that can help you access. Yes. And the system is also made up of people, your network. You will not be able to Google everything. The, the more people you know, the larger your network is, and you, the better you maintain that network, the more successful you will be and the more fun you will have because you will get so much exchange from your network. And that's why you know, our chamber has become, you could say, I mean, a chamber of commerce should be focusing on commerce, business. The, the position I took when I joined was that, okay, business is made out of people. People need to meet. People need to network. I love bringing people together, uh, being that sort of a, a Tinder function, essentially, for business. You know, coming up with new business opportunities and ideas for my members, uh, getting them to meet. You can find information online and in books, et cetera, but through people. You know, make friends, make, make, you know, maintain your network, and you will be able to do anything, anything. Not by using people but by giving and taking and having that exchange. I'm not talking about misuse of, <laughs> of contacts, but, you know, you give a little, you get some, definitely, and maintain your network. That was a really nice point, is this kind of, um, this idea of working with people, you know, yeah. reaching out, building those networks, always continue to build networks and stuff like that. That was a really nice salient point. So It's almost like, you know, this role, you have to be altruistic. You cannot look to your own interests. It's all about making people connect with each other and maintain your networks. But you have to be a bit altruistic because there is very seldom anything in it for you other than the, the joy of making other people succeed. I think that's also the way I've managed before, you know, as a manager. I really didn't have any career ambitions, but I, I always was moved up one notch, et cetera, because of the way I did things. I never wanted to rule the world. I just wanted to have fun. I think there are kind of two kinds of employees that I can think of readily. There are those that want to give. This is very, very simplified, of Mm -hmm. course. Those that want to give and those that want to take. And I think in a certain way, those that want to take get advantage early on because they kind of get ahead. They ask for money. They ask for this. They ask for those sort of things. At some point, I always feel like there's a dead end there. There is. Because anyone with a personal agenda which is not aligned with the team, he or she will eventually 
So personal agenda, which goes opposite to what the team is trying to achieve, it will never work. I think the approach I've had, I've never, ever had a personal agenda. I've never hidden information from anyone that I've worked with. I've shared as much as possible because ultimately we should have the same goal in making our clients happy and uh, more profitable. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Right. What is it you're trying to do, right? You know, running a chamber of commerce, your, your job is to improve the business environment for your members. Exactly. And if you're not adding that value, what are you doing? Exactly. So what I'm, I'm, so I'm helping them with their revenue, solving their problems, which they may have in you know, doing business in Taiwan, assisting them with lowering regretted attrition by teaching slash informing their employees about the uniqueness of working for a Swedish company, etc. A lot of things we've done has been around Swedish culture, Swedish leadership, Swedish values, you know, getting their employees to understand what makes it so special working for a Swedish company in Taiwan. Let's talk a little bit about actual leadership now. I mean, like managing, you know, you talked about before about being this, uh, you know, IT company where you're managing 10 people and you're, you're a fairly large organization. You're now, you don't have permanent staff. Am I correct? Uh, correct. We have an intern. Yeah. You, so you have interns, you have volunteers, and also being a chamber, I mean, I ran a chamber myself, I understand it. You are dealing with board members. Yes. Members, uh, volunteers. You can't just say, well, do your job or else I won't pay you. Nope. Right? How have you adjusted your management style to be now working with a different group of people? It's about being enthusiastic and sort of inspiring them with enthusiasm. Uh, because I am enthusiastic about this role. I think it's fantastic. And when people see that I love what I do, we get a lot of good recognition from the rest of the community. I've been contacted by people saying, you know, I really love what you do with the chamber, you know, you and the board. I want to come and work for you. And my response has been, well, you know, we can't pay you. No, that's all right. That's all right. I just want to be part of this experience. So we have uh, five or six people that work for us on and off. Uh, helping us with events and, and, and different things, you know, nice. feeding their input. So it's, um, Let's talk a little bit about the value of that. As a leader, obviously, you get value out of people volunteering and working for you. For someone who is maybe at the starting end of their career or, or, or even wanting to change like you did, mm. right? What do you think of the value of actually doing work for nothing? Do you have to always be paid? You don't have to, but you need to get the bare minimum in order to survive. Survival. Okay, let's put yeah. survival aside. Assuming you've got enough money to go to 7-Eleven and buy a sandwich. <laughs> exactly. No, but I, I think the older you get, the more altruistic and the more, you know, you want to give back something to the community. Uh, so, for instance, I joined the Rotary Club here in Taipei about a year ago um, because what I saw them do around different social projects in Taiwan was fantastic. I wanted to hook up with that and tag along on those projects and also do a bit of collaborations between the Chamber and Rotary. So, you know, if you've got the time, try and involve yourself, regardless how old you are, try and involve yourself um, in anything. I mean, like my teenagers, they volunteer on and off to go teaching at one of the, uh, the primary schools, Taipei. You know, they may coach a small league soccer team, et cetera, but just involve yourself because it, it will help you build your network and you will feel that you've accomplished, you know, something. For instance, about a year ago, I did a... Um, soup kitchen event with my members. So we went out to Taiyuan and cooked food for 200 plus homeless people outside of Taipei main station, uh, which we served that night. And people came to me after and said, this was the most meaningful event I've ever been to. 
they accomplished something. They gave something back. They, you know, they didn't get anything in return other than, you know, being part of it. If you give, you will get back. I think when, when I was uh, working with the British Chamber of Commerce, when I started there, it was an organization that was maybe in the same sort of transition that you're talking about with the Swedish, where, you know, it had experienced a period of kind of decline and it needed to have meaning. Let's take it this. If you're, if you're selling a product, right, you're selling coffee or whatever, and you say, buy my coffee, buy my coffee, <laughs> right? If you're just constantly telling people, buy my coffee, people are like, well, I'm kind of, you're in my face a little bit. I'm, yeah. I don't really want to. But you're talking about this kind of building meaning patterns around what you do. So if you buy my coffee, then this money also helps to support kind of the development of, you know, third world countries or farmers, uh, you know, or, or whatever it is. But I think this kind of, you know, this, this is the modern message. People want meaning in what they do. Yeah. I think this also applies in the workplace as well, right? It does. And I like the expression you use, building a meaning, sort of meaningful pattern. I'm not a, a very active Christian. In fact, I'm not at all. But the more, again, the more you give, the more you will get back. I could have stayed at home, uh, you know, being the, the trailing spouse, just doing things I like. Um, but I decided to do things I like and share that, essentially, with as many as possible. It's been a fantastic experience. You know, when I go in on a Monday morning and ask my staff, you know, what did you do on the weekend? And for some people, I've stopped asking this question now. Because <laughs> it, it just feels like, you know, I know we all have, there's a responsibility. You know, you have, to, you have to look after your parents, you have to look after children, you have to look after dogs, whatever it is like that. But I always feel like there has to be time, there has to be a moment where you can do something, mm. you know, something else. I feel like what you have done very, very well is to embrace the life and opportunity that is around you. And you've kind of said, okay, well, it's a different life now. It's a different place. It's a different, but what can I do here? You know, I'm in this place, you know. There's a lot of talk about kind of mindfulness now, about being present, yeah. you know. And uh, say what you like about mindfulness, but what you've done is an example of that in a sense, that you've said, I'm in this moment. I'm in this place. I'm not going to just complain about this being different to Sweden, yeah. <laughs> you know. I'm going to embrace the change and see what I can do here. Is that a fair thing to say? Make the most of it. Um, I mean, of course, I didn't feel like a, I was um, brought to Taiwan, you know, uh, against my will. I mean, it was something I, you know, we wanted to do, but I had no idea what I would do day one when I woke up, other than make sure my kids got up and got on online school and made them lunch and power washed around the house to keep them all the way, et cetera. Uh, but I, I had no idea what, what I wanted to do. But I, I knew that whatever I wanted to do, I wanted to share, you know, share it with others, build something. I'm not an entrepreneur as such, but I really enjoyed you know, this change. How about motivation for teams? You, know, you report to a board. They don't work in the organization you work in. They don't, know, But they spend some time. So you have to manage that relationship. Absolutely. You manage it. They don't. You manage that relationship. Then you have volunteers working for you. You have maybe some committees or you have people going and attending activities that you're doing who are volunteering and helping and supporting. How do you find managing those people different to managing people in an office or, or a paid salary management? I think I don't view people based on their position, whether they are my superiors or my, my employees or my interns or my kids for that matter. I interact with people like grown adults, regardless of age and position, because I think that's the way they want to be interacted with. At least that's the way I am. And if, if they don't like it, fine. 
but I won't change. You talk about situational leadership, et cetera. You should adapt your leadership to different types of, of employees, et cetera. I'm not too much for that, I have to admit. You know, this is, you know, what you see is what you get. And I try and be the same towards everyone. You know, treat them equally. So I think this is, a, this is an idea of this kind of authenticity. Yeah. You know, I know it's a bit of a buzz phrase in leadership, but, you know, being the authentic leader. Being true to yourself, yeah. first of all. It's very hard not to be yourself, right? If you're being something else and pretending to be that, as a, it's not going to work. No, it won't. You have to do things which are opposite to your, your own beliefs as a leader. You know, sometimes you have to fire people. You have to give them you know, very tough messages from management above, etc. And in my previous role, I had to do that every day, every hour of the day, you know, 24-7. And eventually I looked at myself and said, this is not me. So I wasn't really true to myself. You know, when you look yourself in the mirror and you feel, oh God, you know, <laughs> is this really me doing this? If the company's values perhaps are in line with your own values, it makes it easy. Definitely. If I've ever had to fire somebody, but that's been a genuine case of this person doesn't fit the organization. Or the organization has quarterly numbers. Well, <laughs> well there is that. But I think in general, I've, the, the easier conversations are the ones where I've had to talk to somebody about saying, here's where we're going. Here's where you're going. These two things don't seem to be going in the same direction. Yeah, yeah. And generally, people aren't stupid. Generally, people understand that, you know, actually, that's not for me, right? They do. And this is a little bit what you're talking about here is where if you're actually having to deliver messages that don't sit with you, if the vision and then from that, the strategy of a company don't fit with you. It's very hard. You know, I think it's very hard to kind of keep going in that direction. It is. Um, if you keep doing it for many years, eventually you may find yourself that you've turned into something <laughs> completely different, something you don't like. But I mean, I, I've had so many conversations where I had to let people go. And, you know, I still have contact with many of them. And they thank me for, you know, you gave me an opportunity to restart and do something completely different because... Obviously, you were right. You know, what I did was not what I was supposed or born to do. Uh, so they, they didn't really understand themselves in that sense. I'm not going to say I've been fired, but I've been advised that it would not be the right thing for me to do to remain in a, in a certain place <laughs> uh, many, many years ago. And at the time, I was young and I was full of a lot of spit and gristle and stuff. And I was quite a little bit angry about it. Mm. And one of the things that made me angry was a manager above my manager who said to me, you know, I was let go. 20 years ago, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And it let me go on to different opportunities, and that's where I am today. And because of that, I am where I am today. And I was kind of like, I mean, I won't say it on, you know, but, but I was a bit kind of annoyed with that. Take five years later, and I'm like, you know, he was so right, you know. And I think uh, as managers and, and people, this comes back to your networking thing, is to talk to people around you, build networks and stuff. And I think this is something you're obviously very, very good at. How do you feel about, you know, people come to you and say, well, here's what I think you should be doing. Do you feel like taking advice is something that you uh, can do easily? I can. I think the initial reaction might be, you know, thinking never, but saying, yes, I'll consider that, et cetera. Mm. But then eventually, I mean, they may, that probably sinks in. As, and then I do things, you know, might be with a twist, et cetera. But I mean, I, I love getting recommendations and advice from others, but eventually you have to turn it into your, your own thing. And without input from others, you would be, you know, mentally quite naked. You know, you would be going in circles. 
take advice from others, but make your own decisions. Yeah, exactly. I mean, don't execute on other ideas just straight off the bat because it would be, you know, not mentally invented here in my own head, but do things your way. But, you know, do take advice and input because you, you need it. You're not perfect. No one's perfect. Oh, surely. Well, not surely. even Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you talked a little bit about authenticity as a leader, but I think also vulnerability. Yeah. Right? Admitting weakness, admitting where you don't know something. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you have to. The worst thing you could do is end up, you know, looking at yourself as that type A person who knows everything and everyone should look up to. Then you're in a very dangerous spot. So know yourself and know your own vulnerabilities and, and limitations. Know yourself. And be open with them. Right. Yeah, don't hide them. You know, I need help with this. I have no idea how to do this, etc. You know, right. What have you got to lose? Be open to support. Be open to help. Admit your weaknesses. Network. Ask. Put yourself out there. Be open to opportunities. Um, try not to have a personal agenda. Try to think of it as being a kind of a team agenda. Definitely. Definitely. And then ultimately be the authentic you, right? Be the manager or be the leader that you are. You can't make yourself into something else. No, and let things happen to you. Be open to the universe, right? We're very, we're almost getting metaphysical here, but uh, <laughs> Frederick, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. You can listen to this podcast live on the fourth Monday of every month on ICRT and after that on the ICRT website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Leadership Matters by Stephen Parker. You can also check out my social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Look for my tagline, Leader Matters. We'll see you next time.